another Poet Waffle. Oh, hello there and welcome to Poet Waffle episode two with me, Daniel Cockrell, uh, where I invite a poet to my house to explore uh, the visceral space between fact and fiction, uh, which I feel is more of a feeling where poets uh, use their emotions uh, to navigate the world and hopefully reveal certain truths which those other fields uh, tend to neglect. And round for a chat uh, this week is uh, my good friend who's a poet, writer, live artist, um, who uses many different media. Um, I'm thinking film and props. Uh, he's an obsessive, a magician. Uh, it is the wonderful Nathan Pellington. Hello, Dan. Thank you for having me in your lovely shed. I know, yeah. Uh, thanks for coming round. Uh, thanks for agreeing to have a little chat with me. Uh, so those things, that, those things, those boxes and those titles that I just said about you, do you, do you recognise those titles? Or if someone was to ask you, at a party, what you do? Have you got a concise answer <laughs> to that? Uh, no, is the answer. Um, yeah, I mean, yes. I, I, you know, I have written poems. Um, I, I do make live theatre performance things, um, which involves film. I also do magic, um, but I would. It depends on when you catch me and what frame of mind I am. Whether I kind of would agree to any of those one things. Yeah, I think all of my work is always moved between things that I'm interested in and I think that's so I find I would find it very hard to kind of narrow myself down into like yeah spoken word performer or poet yeah yeah, yeah. Um, even though I've done and do you know all of those things um so if somebody asked me at the party then you know god you just do a magic trick <laughs> sometimes I'm like I'm just gonna get a drink I'll be back and never return <laughs> but um I was thinking back to when I first met you and I, I can't quite remember how I knew about you. But I remember writing you an email because we were do and we were inviting you to Banks of the Gun to appear. But I I can't recollect why I knew you was a good person to appear on the bang stage. Uh, it might have been um short fuse. Was that your uh yeah, so was that your weekly event that you did? Yeah, so from 2000s until mm. 2008 I used to do a, a weekly uh, spoken word performance comedy uh, poetry magic night uh, yeah every Thursday in Angel um, so yeah I and I, I knew about Bang Said the Gun but I think I can't I, yeah I was trying to think about when did we first actually I can't remember if you came somewhere. yeah if you came to Bangs of the Gun first as a punter I think I or did or whether I invited you to Bangs of the Gun to appear on I've the stage I've got a feeling I came as a punter a couple of times and I think we got chatting or you'd invited me and I came as a punter anyway right before I got to before I, mem I remember like vividly the awkward email I sent you saying <laughs> uh, uh, Nathan would you like to come and appear at Banks of the Gun it's a weekly event uh, we advertise it only one week ahead and asking you in the email do you have any advice on how to advertise this better <laughs> <laughs> And, God uh, knows what and I think was. you replied was like, "No, see you, <laughs> see you, uh, see you on the night." Thing is, though, like, when I was running short views, we were 
I mean, my technique was to make tiny little booklet flyers. They were yeah. like zines. So we'd have, we'd try and do a, a month within those kind of zines um, and then be a month ahead, yeah. which is a hell of a lot of booking. That's like eight yeah, weeks. Yeah, and it didn't yeah. always work out because I mean, yeah. you're dealing with poets, you know, and performers. But yeah, eight weeks ahead. Um, so that, but that, the, the emails, yes, we had a kind of proto website. We used MySpace a lot. Which was, yeah. So, so it was it was in the internet age because I remember when Facebook really kicked in before it got very commercial and controlled. Yeah, I think we were we that just was, stopped at the end. That was uh, really good for us for Bang because we realised oh we can just promote. Yeah, I think on I think Facebook. we'd kind of stopped short views, kind of end of two thousand and seven. No, before the summer of two thousand and eight, we'd stopped. Um, yeah. And I think a lot of people started signing up to like Facebook when MySpace kind of started yeah, becoming yeah. defunct. So, so it's kind of around then. And we were lucky because Bang was lucky because we caught the cusp of oh, we can promote our stuff. And Facebook hadn't put any yeah, uh, yeah. things in place that you as soon as you put a link, they stop everyone yeah, yeah. from uh, seeing yeah. it. So we managed to you know, get a real audience through like oh, we can fly on Facebook. I think we worked a lot largely through like word of mouth and I think that's probably still a very good thing and it's a good yeah. thing for you because I know yeah. you know anytime anyone has asked me in the last you know 10 11 years or whatever and I'd be like oh you should go and see banks they've begun yeah yeah that's uh, the best sort of well, that was, thing about. <clears throat> that was the thing that helped us actually was um we were always insecure about inviting really good guests on because we were like oh they're gonna hate it it's gonna be terrible uh, so we had a, 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 a um, we'd built up a bit of an audience, but it was for us um, the open mic that we started to do, uh, and then we managed to get Elvis McGonagall on, and he was on his he it was a really small fee, but he was on his way to uh, appear with the R sixteen guys in Norfolk somewhere, and so he, we got him the night before, and. Uh, he had such a good time that he said, oh, I'm going to go and spread the word. And that really helped us because then as soon as we asked someone in an email, they were like, oh, yeah, I've heard of it. We'll come. Whereas before, you, you're when you're inviting people in the dark, it's really difficult to go, oh, we, we run this night. I think you enjoy it. People would, it's a 50-50 chance whether they're going to travel the length of the country to come to your night. And if they have a bad night and we've all had it, we're like, oh, man, this isn't what I wanted. Yeah, but then, you, I mean, you, that's the thing with running any kind of live event. You can have the best acts, the best promotion, yeah. and for stuff out of your control, whether that's, I don't know, travel disruption or, I don't know, someone gets sick or whatever it might be. It's just kind of things just don't work out always. Yeah. I mean, but that you've just got to take those kind of risks uh, when you're running a live night. And like, we had some sort of struggled, we struggled for a while with kind of, wasn't as many decent spoken word performers yeah, we in two thousand, not really. There were some big names, and also kind of a lot of people that you know. You, if you'd put on a flyer, most people wouldn't have really heard of, but yeah, who were yeah. great, you know. But yeah, yeah. it's not going to get people through the door. Um, and it took us a while, and we ended up with comedians who ended up doing poems. Like Stuart Lee did a sort of his very long um, "Owl and the Pussycat" poem. Right. We had um, Daniel Kitson did some stuff that wasn't his ordinary thing. Like Rob Newman. Um, yeah was really nervous about reading from his new book so he booked two consecutive weeks with us because he wasn't <laughs> sure if it would work out and we're like yeah sure so we used those kind of those people who wanted to try out new stuff to put on 
the sort of poets that we thought those audiences who would like those comedians would also like, and then kind of build. Were up they massive that names in that at that yeah. early two thousands as well? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, some of those would have been sort of in the middle of that of yeah. that range. But we had, I think we had Stuart Lee quite a lot when he was kind of building up to doing his like forty first best comedian in the world stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know, people were using us as a way to kind of test out material, and I'm very happy with that. You know, because it, I I liked having a night where people could come and both audiences and performers kind of know they were seeing something that perhaps might not be tried again or you know at least an experiment within that form you know and we put on like a lot of um experimental nights we did bards in their eyes where poets would dress as other poets like stars <laughs> in their eyes i bought a smoke machine for that and kind of come and do their thing you get arrested for stuff like that now <laughs> uh, it was really good uh, we did good. poetry yeah. idol which was our way of doing like an open uh, mic that wasn't that. an open mic because we wanted to kind of yeah get people to send in their submissions so that we could have a kind of sort of weed out some of the stuff that because we wanted to give people like 10 minutes because we, we thought like well you know it's a good length of time to get people onto the stage and then we would give the winners of that like 20 minute yeah, set, yeah. which is yeah. which is a long time you know yeah, yeah. 20 minutes is quite hard yeah. to kind of nail and yeah, to be yeah. good so like the best performers the winners would get the 20 minutes and quite often we would book most of the people who had done 10 minutes because they were good because they were good yeah, yeah. so it was a way for us to sort of see people on a stage that we wouldn't get the chance to see um so that really worked out well for us and we had some amazing people through that like Joshua Ederhan yeah. and uh, Aaron Warner, Scroobius Pip, Tim Clare. There's yeah, so, yeah. so many people that we wouldn't have seen personally. That's what we miss at Bang now is, is when we were above a pub, we had so many people going through that, you know, from Holly McNeese to Harry Baker and all the guys you've just mentioned. Uh, but now we're in the Soho Theatre and it ha it's expensive ticket price and everything has to be right. Uh, we We don't get to see all that fresh brilliant talent um, I mean you hope that the the poetry world have there's enough spaces for those people to go and, and do that yeah know, it's hard I, think that, I mean that's, I mean that's the kind of the thing between you know putting poets on in front of a, a, a paying audience who are coming expecting it to be a polished thing and it has to be yeah yeah to, to if you're paying 15 quid a ticket that's the problem isn't yeah. it or you know yeah. last night it was sold out to the last tickets at 19 pounds a ticket Whoa, and it's like that's a lot of money, so a lot of money. the expectations are very high if they yeah. walk through the door and then you put on someone who we would have put on you know five years ago on our stage because we'd have someone else who we knew would smash it but if you're paying a fiver and someone who's they're quite good it's okay but if you're paying 19 pounds and then someone doesn't quite hit the mark yeah, that's kind of hard. To, you know, the ex people go away disappointed. You just you don't want them to. But I mean, I, I also hope. I mean, that's part of the reason we sort of stopped doing it. Is that it? Like doing, running something every week was the only thing that I was really focusing on, and my work kind of suffered because of that. Yeah, yeah. You can't you can't put all your energies into. I know, yeah. To everything, you just there isn't a, there isn't that much time. Yeah. But you do hope that people are putting on new nights, uh, and people are doing it. And you know, you've got to kind of build you know performers out there need to build up their stage time and not expect to kind of have nail the bigger gigs yeah, straight yeah. away yeah you know and i think sort of performers of our age and sort of experience through the spoken word world as it were um you know 20 minutes was a long time and that's what you'd build up to. yeah yeah not an hour like you, yeah. an hour was extremely rare a lot you know? of, and there's a lot of hours now yeah everyone's doing yeah. their best but 
The thing, how I'm, I think I maybe know the answer to this question, but uh, I might not. Um, how did you get involved in this type of thing? Because it was quite unusual as well at our age group, uh, because it wasn't, you know, it wasn't popular. Um, where did where did it where did that come from to know? Oh, that is that's kind of the 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 road I'd like to take in life. It's kind of I guess it's a complicated answer in a way. Yeah. So I was a teenage magician, boy magician. So I was yeah. already performing stuff, and then doing my English A levels, I was writing my own stuff and kind of reading more obscure things. And then I moved to London, and the first thing I did was look in time out for poetry things yeah um and i went to my the, the only time i've ever been to like a writing workshop i kind of forgot my a to z out turned up in angel found this pub i went in ordered a drink and i was like the barmaids are all topless and i was like <laughs> this can't be the right place i've got i've got it's like i'm gonna ask though and it was, i was only like 18 19 and it's like ask this topless barmaid i'm like is this where the, the the poetry thing is she was like yeah it's upstairs so and upstairs in this room we're kind of like older people just sitting there nervously yeah uh, you know wanting to like with 10 copies of their poems each and they're sitting around reading them out in this group and they were complaining about the noise from down the stairs <laughs> in my head i'm like this like this is not what i thought it was going to be and then so that i, I mean I, so that was the only time i've been to a, like a writing workshop type session but the next thing i found in time out was the hard edge club which was essentially kind of rowdy and raucous and the kind of thing i th i hoped it would be you know? yeah and so that's so i i found that and then i kind of through that I found like tim wells and yeah. vietnam busco and that kind of yeah. all those kind of kind of that mix between stand-up and poetry and and kind of not taking itself too seriously and like anything goes kind of thing um but i guess before that my uncle is um adrian henry one of the liverpool poets yeah, yeah. so even though I kind of didn't set out into poetry because of him, I guess there was always a part where I knew it was possible, you know. Did and you that, see those, did you see any happenings and the things that he had organised when you were growing up or it was all, had it all gone by that point? But... Well, I mean, he <clears throat> he was writing a lot of like kids poetry books and yeah. um, he's got a few kind of like kids um, storybooks um, and we went to a lot of his art exhibition openings yeah. and his uh, poetry readings and things like that. So I saw, kind of saw this range of stuff between events that were well attended and also like stuff in like real library that had three people there. Yeah, yeah. Know? So while it was possible, it was still, you're still aware that it, it is never going to be an easy thing yeah, yeah. to do, you know. Yeah, yeah. And obviously I had big conversations with Adrian, particularly when I was in my teenage years, um, about the stuff he was doing in the 60s and, you know, um, putting on those kind of events. And, and yeah, particularly as, I, as he knew I was kind of running poetry things and I did a master's in, I wrote a history of UK performance poetry from like 1950 to 2000, that was. Um, so I interviewed him at length about all sorts of things. And you interviewed it, a lot of big people yeah uh, who are big I, in that scene adrian mitchell yeah uh like roger mcgoth um benjamin zephaniah um john cooper clark yeah. john hegley sort of yeah all of those kind of people who'd changed um, the uh the landscape of poetry really all those guys didn't they in in their own way yeah 
Yeah, and it sort of have their own legacies because of that. Um, yeah. You know, and some of those people have come and gone. I mean, there's been like the the rise and fall and rise of John Cooper Clark has been amazing to see. Yeah, really. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, because he was doing places like the Hard Edge Club. Well, I I remember being. I think it was the old Bloomsbury um, Theatre, and I think Selena Godden was comparing, but John Cooper Clark was on there, and people that were there walked out, and I and I'd gone to see Avery Mitchell. But uh, I, I, you know, I, I'd seen John Cooper Clark a few times, but that night he just got me, and I was I was in fits of laughter, and he re- he realised he just focused on me, and it was almost like he performed his whole set to me, and I was just like, because the other people just I heard him moan and walk out, but now people yeah no, and it, for it don't it they? is amazing so, like that yeah you're right there's people who would not have wanted to sit through his stuff yeah, yeah. are now like paying twenty five pounds a ticket yeah yeah yeah. So, yeah, because well, I I I because I didn't know any of that stuff existed. So I was, um, you know, my dad was a window cleaner. Uh, my mum worked in a factory making TV aerials, um, and I went to an art college. And I I'd started doing little poems and blowing them up on. Um, on the photocopier, so it's before computers, and they I blow them up so that the word, so I type out the words. So I thought they were art. I didn't know they were poetry, and uh, I was ill one day, and I was at home, and during, and I had the daytime television on, and during that time, it's just educational programs in the day that, that came on, and one of the people that was on, and it was the early nineties, it probably ninety one or ninety two, was John Higley, and. I saw it and I was a bit ill and I just thought, wow, that is the most amazing thing I'd ever seen. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I looked at my, I'd written about seven poems or what I, I didn't realise. I thought, well, they were a little bit like mine, but a lot better. And, uh, and he said something in there. He said, uh, and it's always resonated with me and I still remember, he said, um, I make the mundane magnificent, the ordinary extraordinary. And that, that was it for me. I was like, ah. Oh, that's what I've got to do. That's because my life was so ordinary, but I wanted it to be a bit more extraordinary than what it was. Um, so that's what led me down that path. Of, I started to uh, write a bit like John would, and uh, copy that, which probably a lot of people did at that time when they saw saw him do what he did. And then a few years later, I I saw Adrian Mitchell on the stage, and I I never knew who who he was either. And that was another lightning bolt moment of, I don't know what he just did on stage, but that is what I want to do. Um, and I probably found you through that, because uh, you knew all those guys and had a real interest in them. And um, Yeah, I mean, I, I think, <clears throat> you know, I became good friends with John Hegley through sort of interviewing him for my master's degree. You yeah, know? yeah. And again, that was... It, you know, partly you make your own look, really, don't you? But, um, you know, lucky that that... For that to have happened, yeah, yeah, I've learned a lot from John and having that kind yeah, yeah. Of relationship with him, and and you know, and for quite a while, I was um, his typist because he, he sort of has a sort of thing against not against computers, but just for a while would not use one, and then yeah. we'd write everything by hand, and because he was busy and touring, and it just that time wasn't there for him, so he, I would type his stuff. So I'd maybe meet like two or three times a week with him and type yeah. everything, and. His handwriting is a bit like mine, so it's kind of impossible <laughs> to read. So you have to kind of squint at it and hold it upside down, and that, it becomes this kind of like 
I was cryptographic a, challenge. I was a member of his fan club, and he used to send out because you were a big fan of zines. But he used to send out little, oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. cards and that with a handwritten poem in, and a hand, uh, you know, a hand drawn dog or something. Uh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah, I mean, John is a big fan still of like the handmade object yeah. and yeah. that being a very precious commodity amongst all of this. Kind I've of, seen like, him make cell. those little books out of A4 paper. Yeah. And I made yeah. some in school because it's such a you know A4 paper can make a little book fantastic you know, tear the scent the bit little yeah, yeah. bit and uh, yeah fantastic and he was the first person I saw in a uh, he he's the first time I went to a theatre and I saw John Hegley so I was in Brighton just gone to university and he was on at the Gardens Art Centre so it had been ninety four and uh, I saw he was I was like okay I'm going to go and see him. And that's the first time I've been to a theatre. So he changed, completely changed my outlook on life and what I could be doing. Because I could be just working at Ford's Dagnum. Probably wouldn't have been a bad thing, but... <laughs> I mean, so, you should tell, John, if you, don't, if you haven't already. I mean, yeah. that, 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 that is... I mean, that's huge, you know. And massive, I think you yeah. kind of... You forget as performers that you, you do reach people in ways that you, you can never predict and you would never know, you know. Yeah, people, yeah. You don't you don't often get a chance to sort of tell people, you know, that the effect their work has had on you, and I think it's important if you see any anybody it could be any any exactly, performer yeah. just to tell them, especially this day and age, because it's so easy to reach pretty much everyone, and just to go, you know what, your your work is special because it's, yeah. it's done this. For yeah, me. yeah, yeah. I don't know what what where should we, so we're about you know two thirds of the way through of a. Poet Waffle with me, Dan Cockle, and my brilliant guest uh, Nathan Pennington. Um, something we did on the lo- on the first episode, we asked a big question. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Which I don't know if we can answer or not. But what? Uh, so last time I asked Rob Alton, um, uh, is it a privilege to grow old? Um, or the big question could be, where do problems come from? Or uh, there's a whole list of them that I'm going to go through and ask the guests. But one of the questions that you picked out that you thought um, could be interesting, because I think I've spoken to you stuff about this sort of thing with you before, is do, and the question is, do you believe in the unexplained? I mean, that is a big question. Um, and yet, in, in the short answer, yeah. Yes, but the question itself is kind of a little tricksy, isn't it? Because it's like, do you believe yeah. in the unexplained? So I don't know if you could answer yes to that. Um, I am a big Charles Fort fan. Yeah. Um, and I, for those people who might be listening who don't know who Charles Fort is, he was um, a writer whose first book is 100 years old this year. Wow. It's called The Book of the Damned. And he essentially created our contemporary... Um, view of the supernatural let's say yeah because before him I think you know spirits and things like that were very much connected to um, religion through like spiritualism that kind of thing the unexplained hugely ignored by science yeah because it's and it's and I guess he's a satirical writer in essence like so he gathered tens of thousands of like um quotes and excerpts from books that um, have phenomena that were unexplained so for example fish falling like rain yeah um, blood falling from the skies um, wow and these things kind of 
do exist and they're documented and not just documented at one place at yeah, one time. Yeah. These things are still are still shown to happen now. Um, the 14 Times is like, it comes out every month um, and based on the, inspired by the work of Charles Fort. And it is the best news magazine out there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. I don't say so that. You like, get it, yeah. yeah, are you still it, yeah. surprised every time you open it and read it? Is there something in there you go, "Wow"? Yeah, I okay, mean, yeah, it, yeah. it's it's ast- it's astonishing. Okay. It's um, if you've never read it, go and buy a copy. You can get it if you can find a W. H. Smiths. It will be in there, um, and it's worth it. Like the, you still find like rainfalls of fish. And Charles Fort collected like hundreds of examples of these yeah, things yeah. and put them back to back. So he's like. He's a writer who's... And it's in the Bible. Is that sort of thing in the Bible? Yeah, or maybe so it's frogs you, or cookies. Yeah, so, yeah, so you start exactly, thinking, yeah, okay, yeah. well, some of these yeah. things would have happened and they were yeah. attributed to some kind of like big religious phenomenon. Yeah, and yeah. then he's saying that science are ignoring these examples of these things happening. Um, why are they ignoring it? You know, what, what is it that frightens um, scientists about these kind of things? We've kind of had this conversation because we were sitting in a cafe in Hackney and I was talking about uh, these unexplained uh, lightning balls that shoot through rooms that people have seen and they can't recreate them in the laboratory. Uh, and you started telling me about uh, these wisps of, yeah. of cloud that appear above a lake. Yeah. And when you try to catch them, to stop me if I'm getting this wrong, when you try to catch them in a test tube or in a net or something, they move Yeah, and you can't catch them. They're called will-o'-the-wisps and this is where the will-o'-the-wisp... Right thing yeah. comes from and it, it's taken it took science a long time to get to the point where you know these kind of flames which are like flames of like a colored like a greenish kind of gas that's yeah. kind of lit itself um it's because of like some rotting matter underneath under certain special circumstances yeah, these things yeah. happen but every time you go close to them they move away wow which is insane isn't it it's yeah, like yeah. Well, that that is an unexplained phenomenon that still happens. And I guess we live in a time where things can be documented through video and photography. So you, you do get photos of like groups of fish that have been dropped somewhere, like in a desert, say, or in a kind of, you know, somewhere inland. Um, and science, you know, the, the, a rational explanation would be, oh, it's a, it's a localised whirlwind that's picked up these fish from a pond. And Charles Fort's like, well, we've never had like a localised rainfall of a tires or yeah um, I don't know, frog spawn it's always frogs it's not frog spawn yeah right? yeah so, yeah know, these things yeah yeah and like have we got clever wind that sorts these objects out and gets rid of a lot of them deposits just fish and frogs so, oh you know, yeah i've never even thought of it like that because so, you were bound to have something in there wouldn't you yeah else, the, other it, than just yeah, exa- frog. exactly yeah. but he's i mean he would charles fort writes he collects all these phenomena together and then put some possible explanations in and then some absurd explanations in and this kind of attempt to kind of attack the dogma of science in a way well because me and rob believe like we believe that you've got unexplained powers because we like, we've seen you do stuff that is just like okay we know that's magic and we know um nathan's having us on but we are me and rob all and are sitting there going oh because uh, we i swear you've got me to say stuff out loud that I would not admit to anyone else just by touching my shoulder or something. I'd be like, yes, Nathan, I am under your control. And I believe you do that with people. So I'm always slightly wary. Well, the thing, I, I mean, <laughs> but I do, I mean, I come to like this, this, particularly this question that unexplained through, also through the filter of being a magician. I, I have a huge interest in magic and I don't perform it as much at the moment than, you know, I did, but, um, it's definitely an area that is going to be in like future live shows because that's yeah, yeah, I've yeah. got a couple of ideas that were kind of 
be more I've seen you do something. Also, my boys, Billy's just got into doing magic. So he got a, um, a magic wand at a, a kid's party. And now he can make it float on his hand and do those little tricks that, uh, that you know, are, are quite simple. But um, I told, and we've got a Rubik's Cube as well. And I've seen you do that blindfolded with one hand oh, yeah. and throw it in the air, I think. And I've told them, oh, yeah, I have a friend who can do that with his eyes closed and throw it in the air and it's done. And uh, they now say that every time someone picks up that Rubik's Cube, they go, yeah, our dad knows someone who can do it blindfolded and they've just throw it in the air and it is done. And they're absolutely obsessed by it. So they're going to be, when I tell them, oh, who came around today? I'll say, oh, Nathan, come around. He's the guy who can do that trick I told you about with the Rubik's Cube. And or maybe when we uh, will go in the house and you can just do it. So when they come home, They'll be like, oh my God, how did you do that? We can then? we can go in and video it. We can leave a video <laughs> video for them. Just the, kind of phenomenal. like the, the, my magic powers is kind of like yeah. have become mythologized. How did what the, what made you? We've got probably a minute left or something. But what made you get into magic? I probably know this story. Is this a long story as well? Or you know, not really. I just like kids get into kind of performing magic. You know, yeah. Um, Particularly like kind of like shy and awkward kids. It's kind of yeah. one of those things um, because it's a it's a it's a skill, you know, series of skills that you develop through spending a lot of time on your own. But it's a performance skill, so it kind of pushed me out of becoming shy because by nature I'm, I'm excruciatingly shy. Yeah, yeah. I think that's been eroded over time, obviously, and through yeah. age. But there is a core essence. And of I'm a massive introvert. It's the same thing. And yeah. So I'm. You know, I d- getting up on stage isn't kind of my natural I do find it more comfortable be. being on stage than I do perhaps in, in everyday life. Having a chat. With, yeah, that, I mean, that's my thing. I, I, if someone says go to a dinner party, I'm like, oh, really? Because that's more excruciating. Or coming off stage and having to chat with someone when they say, I know we were just saying earlier, oh, make sure you tell them. But when someone goes, oh, I really love that, you're like, oh, yeah, thanks. Right. See you later, you know. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, is he, I mean, this is obviously a different scenario because it's still. I mean, we're having a chat and we get, uh, you know, we get on very well. But um, it, you know, it's, you know, close friends are a rarer phenomenon than you know, than having. I don't know. We have hundreds of friends. Yeah, yeah. God. One thing I said we haven't explored what or said what you're doing in the future. So tell everyone briefly what you've been working on and where possibly they might be able to see it in. In the in the coming months. So one of my um, sort of last big projects was a, a thing called Choose Your Own Documentary, which is a live interactive documentary in which the audience chose what happened next, um, and that toured around, won a few awards and things. Um, but over the last few years, we've been developing a digital version, so an online playable version of this, um, in, which has got hundreds more sort of choices that you can make on it. Um, so that's going to be released online to be playable on like mobile. Um, and various browsers, desktops, uh, at some point this year. Um, and also think, because it's the anniversary of Choose Your Own Adventure, 40-year uh, anniversary of Choose Your Own Adventure books, um, we will be doing the live show again later this year. Brilliant. Well. And if you haven't seen that, go and see that, because uh, you can go and see it as many times as you want, and you always get a different show. Yeah, there's 1,566 so. different possible versions of that, and I've only done over 100 <laughs> shows, so there's still there's like wow. a, a lot think... left to do. Probably seen it twice. Have I seen it twice or once? I think you've seen it twice. Yeah, I've seen it twice. Yeah, and yeah, great show. Uh, look forward to all that. And um, thanks for coming on Poet Waffle. Oh, thank you for having Nathan. me, Nathan. It's been an absolute delight. Uh, thank you, all you guys, for listening. Um, 
tell your friends about Poet Waffle, and we will see you next time. Thank you very much. Poet Waffle was written and presented by Daniel Cockrell, original concept by Jack White, music and audio production by Julian Ward, artwork by Damien Wayhill, and technical support from Laurie Eaves.